ready. It's time for your weekly dose of Wayne's Comics. Welcome to episode 216 of the Wayne's Comics Podcast. Thanks so much for listening. This week I talk with Jeff Marsick and Scott Barnett, creators of Dead Man's Party, which is now available in trade paperback. They've made a wonderful book that is out from Darby Pop, and I highly recommend it. We delve into this book in depth, including how the book came to be, and what projects they're working on as well, and what we might see from this universe in the future. There's a lot to get to, so let's get on with the show. Welcome to the podcast, Jeff Marsick. How are you doing today, Jeff? I'm doing well. Thanks for having me. It's good to talk with you. And Scott Barnett, how are you, Scott? Good, good. How are you, Wayne? Good. It's good to talk with you guys because you created a trade paperback. Well, now it's a trade paperback, but it was an ongoing series called Dead Man's Party, which I loved. I think, Scott, I talked with you at last year's New York City Comic Con. And I heard the premise for the book, and my head spun around, and I went, what? <laughs> I said, what? This, this, never heard of this kind of a premise before. And so as soon as I could, I ordered the trade. I did get the first issue through Comixology, which is a note to everybody, you can get some of these through Comixology. But I also ordered the trade, and it came in through my local shop, and I got to sit down and read it. Boy, I loved it. That's why I wrote a really good review of it. I hope other people out there, especially if you're interested in crime drama, that you'll go ahead and give this a go. So, Jeff, why don't we start out by talking about, why don't you explain what the premise is so that people know what we're talking about. So the premise of Dead Man's Party, it's about a world-class assassin, a hitman, who finds himself in a position where basically he wants to go out of life on his own terms. So he puts a contract out on himself, what's called in the assassin's trade a Dead Man's Party, which is part Viking funeral, part Irish wake. It's a twisted way for your peers to honor your memory and exact a little bit of revenge on you. So... That's what he does. It puts a contract on his head. It's a 30-day contract that we're blind fill by five of your peers to come in and hunt you down. Is this a real thing or is this something that you all made up? I- it would be so cool if this was actually a real thing. <laughs> um, but no, we made it up. Okay. Well, that's good because, as I said, when I heard the concept, my head spun around. I was just like, what? I said, I never heard of such a thing. I said, it would be cool if there was such a thing. Yeah. So very good. We get that a lot, that reaction, yeah. Yeah, it's great stuff. Now, Scott, how did you guys bring the book together? Because, you know, this honestly, this is a it's a well-put-together book. The art is excellent. The, the, the pacing's great. Love the characters. How did you guys bring this together? Did you guys develop the concept together? Was it Jeff? How did you guys do it? It was very interesting the way it all worked out. Jeff and I have known each other for years and had been looking for something to collaborate on. And we tossed around a couple of different things. Nothing really stuck. And then one day, a couple of years back, I had come up with the idea about a hitman that puts a hit out on himself. And I wrote myself a note. And I go and email Jeff. And I say, oh, dude, what do you think about this idea? You know, you think there's anything to this? 
and he emails me back immediately and says, dude, you're not going to believe this. I have something, I have a concept that goes along with this that I've had in my head forever. Mm. I mean, Jeff, I think you were saying that you've had it in the back of your mind for, what, 15 years, something yep. like that? You know? yep. And his idea was the Dead Man's Party itself, that whole concept of the competition. And before you knew it, we just started talking it through and the concepts married together so well that it almost started writing itself. Hmm. It just kind of fed on itself. And the more we just started going, we realized there was something there. It was just clicking. Mm-hmm. That's so unique. And I love crime drama, too. Cause, but to see something I have never heard before in crime drama, I mean, I have watched CSI, every incarnation from the beginning. I've read novels. I've read everything. And I never heard this thing before. And so, you know, by this time in my life, I'm kind of going like, ah, there's nothing new out there. But when I, when I heard you guys' concept for this, I was just so taken by it. I just I knew I had to get it, and that's why as soon as I could, I got, I got it on Comixology when I was frustrated and I couldn't get any more issues there. I went ahead and ordered the trade so I could have a nice copy of it to keep because mm-hmm. there are certain stories you want to have. And like I said, this being really a unique story in crime, i got to have this to keep because it's just a great, great book. Well, one of the parameters that Scott and I had, too, is when we sat down was that I'm the same way. I think that there's crime drama and comics like that. There's not a whole lot of new untapped territory out there. Ed Brubaker does amazing things with Criminal, and Bendis clearly paved the way back in the day with Jinx and Goldfish and some other books. But one of the things that we sat down when we were plotting this out was I can't stand cliche. I can't stand stereotypes. I can't stand retreading, uh, uh, you know, going over tracks that have already been laid down. So one of the things we said was when we do this, we want to try to break all the tropes. You can have a couple in there, but let's forge new ground and let's not fall back on the same stuff that you typically see. So that was one of the fun elements to scripting all this out. Amen, brother. (laughs) <laughs> I get so sick and tired of crime dramas that are the same old, same old. Yeah. Because you, know? you guys didn't do that in this book, and I really like that. So, But how long, did it, how long did it take you guys to put the story together? Well, it kind of evolved a little bit. Actually, the, the very first story that we put together really doesn't resemble what saw print eventually. And we actually have the makings of all sorts of tales that we can kind of delve back into this little world with if we so choose. But... I just completely lost my train of thought. <laughs> well, it's funny because the first step to doing this was we sat down we, when we, we hammered out an outline. Mm-hmm. And if you go back, this is the thing that always cracks Scott and I up is when you go back, you look at that first issue that you got off of Comixology. If you got the black and white one, the cover says one of four. So this was originally supposed to be three issues and an oversized fourth. Mm. And then we had it all outlined, so we weren't doing this just off the seat of our pants. It was all outlined. We had all figured out what we were going to do. I had all the pages paced out, and it was perfect. And then we get to issue four, and I'm sitting there, and I'm scripting it out, and I'm going, you know what? It's basically two issues. It's not an oversized fourth. It's a double-sized fourth. We should just make this five issues. Mm -hmm. So the running joke is that I always say that Uh, The Punisher limited series that was done by Zach back in the 80s, they set the precedent for us. So for now, when we got to the end of doing these issues, issue four changed from being out of four, it was now out of five. Mm -hmm. Obviously, issue five out of five. But I always go back and say, yeah, the Punisher back in the day, they set the tone for this. Because if you look at that, it was I think it was the first one was one of four... And then it was like two of five, and then it was like three of four, and then it was like four of five. So 
they kind of messed up the uh, you know changed up the uh, numbering sequence as well. But putting these books together, Scott, how long have we been doing this? This well, I think since we had first started to uh, put the concept together, it's about closing in on five years now, yeah. where we just talked about it for quite. I mean, I think when we first started talking about it, it was a good year by the time the first issue saw print because we really did want to take our time with it and not just crank something out for the sake of cranking it out. Mm-hmm. So a- we really did give it its due diligence. Good. Well, you know, honestly, you know, everybody says, well, I, I had this idea and it just fell together in a day or two, you know. That's a miracle when that kind of stuff happens. It's, yeah. It usually takes time to go through something and to make it into something that's really worthwhile. I used to be part right. of a script writing group, and we were always writing, of all things, Star Trek fan movie scripts. Mm-hmm. And we would sit around and do stuff, and, you know, it was just funny when we would sit around and talk with each other. Ideas would just bounce out unexpectedly. You know, the one subject we talked about for months and months, and all of a sudden we would bring that subject back up again, and we would hit something new. Something about that moment just hit it. And that's kind of the thing that you're going through. It's not exactly the way it started out, but that was the foundation for the concept for Dead Man's right. Party. So it all worked well, out yeah, really the well. The concept itself meshed very quickly, yeah, but mm-hmm. then fleshing it all out. We really wanted to make sure. I know one of the things that Jeff really was concerned about was starting off with a bang and ending with a whimper. And I know right. we really wanted you know, the end to sing. So we really sat down and stopped many times and said, okay, where are we, you know, how are we wrapping this all up? And as, oh. you, you know, as you could see, we think we came up with something that ended strongly. I still remember we did <clears throat> issue one and we did a podcast with Amber Unmasked. Mm-hmm. Uh, right. She raved about the book. Mm-hmm. And a couple other people gave really good comments about the book too. That was issue one. And we hadn't even gotten the script. I think the script might have been done for two. And just the reviews, we knew we had a good book. Mm-hmm. But all of a sudden, it's like, oh, my gosh, Like people really think this is great. And I got really nervous because I thought, <laughs> like Scott said, we started with a bang. We can't screw this up now. You know? <laughs> but going back to something that you had said before, the challenge is coming up with this really cool concept, you typically f- – kind of know how it begins and you know how it ends but that middle stuff is fuzzy that's the huge challenge and we've all seen movies or tv episodes where you know that somebody said look i got this great idea it's a giant robot and it does this and that's all that's all they got and then they built a movie around that and it fails on every metric and that was the thing that was the biggest challenge here was we've got the hook and we've got the gimmick but now you got to fill in all the spaces in the middle and keep this thing running for four or five issues. Mm-hmm. And going well. I, I, being a Star Trek fan, I have to. We, we were talking about scripts, and somebody came to us and said, oh, "I've got this great idea for a Star Trek Voyager episode." Of course, a Voyager was on at that time, and if anybody knows about it, there was a group called the, the uh, people who had a, a disease called the Phage. And they had moved past that at this place. And all of a sudden, this one friend said, I've got a great idea for a Star Trek Voyager episode. The doctor develops a cure for the phage. And we went, (laughs) and? You know, what's going to happen next? You know, are they going to go back? Are they going to have to, you know, what what are they going to do? How's this going to work? Well, I haven't thought of that yet. Okay, well, you know, think of that. (laughs) (laughs) So that's what you guys have done. You filled it in very well, I have to say. You mentioned the ending, and I don't want to get ahead of myself, but... I love that last panel. I have to say, I literally went, no, it can't be the end at that last panel. And I just, everybody's going like, what's the matter? I said, oh, it's, it ended too well. Oh, no, it can't end this way. <laughs> so I really 
love that ending, and I'm not going to ever spoil it because I think people need to read it in order to get it. But uh, it's such a wonderfully done, done thing. And you know, Scott, I want to talk with you about the art style that you do. You used a painted style for yes, this. Do yeah. you want to talk a little bit about using a painted style, say, versus a drawing style for a comic? Sure. Well, my background is uh, I'm an illustrator by trade, mm-hmm. and my style, my commercial style, has always involved a fair amount of realism. So for me, it was just simply, you know, that's what I do best. For me to just switch gears and then to just go to traditional pen and ink mm-hmm. didn't really seem like me. I'd be, you know, fighting my own style, my own nature. So mm-hmm. I figured this is the way to go. And I had made very, very small name for myself doing covers back in, geez, now it's, it was the 90s, like just before the comic market imploded on itself. Mm. And so I moved on to do other things because I just did not click, you know, just I, I, I'd done a lot of work for a lot of smaller publishers, but never really clicked with the big boys mm-hmm. and went on to do other stuff and all that and came back around at some point and started saying, you know, there's no reason why I can't do this myself. If if someone's not going to hire me to paint Spider-Man, I'll do something myself. Mm -hmm. And that's around the time when Jeff and I had met uh, through a mutual friend and then just started that whole process of, oh, geez, really? You write? Well, I draw. What do you... We started that dialogue between each other. But to go back to the style, it really was kind of a no-brainer for me. The biggest thing we had to decide was initially whether or not to do it in black and white or in color. And we chosen black and white initially for all sorts of reasons. I mean, for printing, we kind of felt that it fit that same type of tone. Not that we were trying to ape Sin City or anything like that, but we just kind of felt it had kind of this hard-boiled feel to it and all this gritty crime story. So we went black and white initially. However, I do have to say that once we had started collaborating with Darby Pop Publishing, mm-hmm. we right away decided we really think to reach a broader market, this should probably be in color. Mm-hmm. And that kicked off a whole nother discussion. And really, once we put it in color, it kind of takes on a new life. You said you had gotten the comicsology, the, mm-hmm. the first issue or something. Mm-hmm. Did you get the black and white version or the color version? The color. The color. Okay. So I don't know if you've ever seen the black and white version. I mean, uh-huh. it has its own charm. But now that we had gone ahead and done this in color, it really just, I don't know, really just kind of brought it all to life. I love the artwork. I think that it's a little bit of a fuzziness to it, but that's good because it feels like real life kind of a feel. Yeah, I tried to take a very cinematic approach to this book. And like I said, my style kind of suits that anyway. Mm -hmm. So that's the way I approached it. And that's why I think we get a lot of people who say, man, this would make a kick-ass movie because it's, it's pretty much a movie on paper. It's an action film on paper. You know? I talked with um, Jeff, uh, Jeff a little bit about that, the fact that this would make an ideal movie. I, it sings to me in that way. It just feels like <laughs> I could see this as a movie and I'd pay good money to go see it too because it's just it's such a great thing. You guys have put it together so well. I think your artwork you. makes it feel like it, it pops off the page. Like I said, I when I dove into this i was gone for a while because i was so into the story you know everybody's doing other things around me and i'm not going like i don't know i'm not paying attention to any of that because i want to know what's going on in the story so mm. it's such a well put together book and i think your art really contributes to that i think also jeff's script and the character you guys developed excellent characters can we talk a little bit about the ghost in fact because that's the main guy who's behind us he's the one that initiates the dead man's party mm-hmm. maybe scott maybe you can talk about was he set on anybody he, he almost looks a little like you in, in the picture in there, and I, I don't know whether just you Just a touch. Just a little bit, but who was he developed on? Was his appearance based on somebody? Well, it was, I'm joking here, but it was actually uh, based on my likeness. Oh. Uh, the original idea was there was supposed to be another 
character, and I teased Jeff about this, there was another character, <laughs> and the whole idea was that I was going to use both our likenesses for these two characters. Mm. It was kind of... The two characters uh, were very much a complement of each other, you know, one yin to the other's yang and so forth and all. And just the way the story came together, Jeff didn't feel at the time that there was a place for this second character. Mm. So he took him out. So I've all along, all this time, had worried that I seemed really, you know, like... Uh, egotistical? You know, like a, yeah, egotistical, <laughs> that, that, uh, that my face is all over the book. <laughs> but I think, I, I think people have quickly kind of delved into the story and kind of leave that behind until they see us at a convention and hold the book up and then look at me <laughs> and then hold the book up again and go, um, hey, you know, I, I see, you know, I see this here, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, or, but, yet, but yet there's we, still people who don't who will pick the book up and like look at Scott, look at the cover, they're like, no, no, that's De Niro, or that's, uh, that's uh, who's the yeah, other we one? Got, we get Pacino sometimes. Yep. Uh, uh, we get uh, Hugh Jackman uh, sometimes. So, uh, yeah, especially if they don't actually see us first, and they just come like right over to the table at a con and are mm-hmm. looking at the book. And before they look up and they go, oh, that's cool. You know, we had somebody say, oh, that's really cool that you drew Hugh Jackman in the, in, <laughs> as the main character. And you know, at that point, the, real, the only thing I can really do is like pick up the book and put it next to my face and say, yeah, "Are you sure of that?" You know. <laughs> and yeah, I, I get that all the time anyway. So yeah, the, the likenesses were based on us, and hopefully, I will be able to convince Jeff to add that second character in at some point, so we can, uh, <laughs> so I can, uh, I can have my fun. Scott's uh, just dying his... to like kill me or do something nasty. <laughs> and that's all. <laughs> well, you know, it does seem that people get a big kick out of, out of that. that. That's become kind of a little running joke in the series that some of the people who, who either get killed or carjacked or what have you are either fans of the book or people who have interviewed us in the past or something like that. So mm-hmm. that's been something that we've kind of had a little fun with is stick people in there who have really been big supporters of the book yeah. uh, as, as tiny little guest stars. I gotta ask Jeff: Is the character of Ghost? Is the way that he behaves? Is that also based on Scott, or is that something uh, based on other people? <laughs> <laughs> no, no, it's just based on it's based on the kind of character I'd like to see if I'm reading a book or if I was watching a movie. Mm-hmm. That's the kind of the stoic, hard to rattle kind of character. Which is funny because we were doing Dead Man's Party before John Wick came out, mm. and. I felt that Keanu Reeves's portrayal of John Wick is real similar to what Ghost is like, or even Jason Bourne. Just that very kind of calculating and stoic, not real emotional. And again, you're trying to break tropes, and there's always like that badass. Jason Statham always has the funny lines and the quips and things like that. And we didn't want somebody like that. If you're going to be a hitman, if you're going to be a guy at the top of his game, you're very low key and. You're a ghost. You blend in with your surroundings. So that was the model that I started with and just kept that in mind every time I was writing. Mm -hmm. And personally, I couldn't be less like that. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Now let's, of course, get to the women in the the book, too. Sonara is her name. Yes. And she shows up at one point when, of course, when the call goes out for people to come in and take him out. She's one of the people who shows up. What was the basis for her character? Who was she modeled after? Why was she introduced into the story? You know, glad to have a woman in there, don't get me wrong. But she serves an interesting function in that she ties things to certain government agencies, shall we say. What was that all about, Jeff? So these kinds of stories always kind of lend themselves well to having a femme fatale type or that kind of love interest or 
some kind of interaction with a female character. And again, I wanted a strong female character. I wanted a woman who's attractive, but she's a badass, but she's not so over-the-top badass that you almost discount her. So she's a CIA assassin, and I kind of made her one of Ghost's peers. And they've got a history between the two of them, which I liked. You know, I kind of wanted to have, but again, I didn't want it to be that overarching, something that was just too out of control. So I found her to be, and actually the more I wrote about her, the more I found her really interesting and a character that I could see, and I know Scott would like to do something with her. Definitely. A future story. Her looks and stuff, basically I was like, I just said, I created her character and her personality and basically all that she is, and then just said, Scott, run with it. So, yeah, basically, it's funny. We had started, you know, Jeff was going along writing the book, and we had gotten to her appearing in it. And really, for the longest time, I could not settle on a look for her. I tried a couple of different things, and just nothing really clicked, which is quite honestly the story behind why the cover of the second issue doesn't show Sonara's face on it. You kind of see her arm and part of her body and the gun and all that because I just hadn't come up with her look yet and I was like we gotta we gotta get a cover out and I'm, I'm mm. you know I'm blanking here so I had actually done a pinup for a card set and it was kind of a uh, tropical theme and I just happened to put together this pinup of a woman lounging in the water in a bikini and for whatever reason just because I think I was in that mode while we're putting this book together put a gun in her hand with a silencer and her, you know, in, in sunglasses and all and finished this thing and submitted it to the card publisher and all. And I thought to myself, I think I just met Sonara, you know? <laughs> so it kind of just worked out that way. And we kind of, then ultimately after that, as we were getting her in the book, you know, I tend to use photo reference and modeling for me and all. And my wife wound up modeling for Sonara. So there's a little bit of her in there as well. So it kind of just evolved. I wish I could say as soon as Jeff brought me the concept, I said, oh, I've got it. But it actually took a little while to coax that out. You know, kind of almost happened by accident when I did that other pinup. Well, that's natural. Those kind of things happen all the time. It's very rare when things pop right out immediately and you understand what's yeah. going on. Now, lest people think this is a slow-moving story, it's not. There are a lot of wonderful action sequences, lots of explosions I've noticed. Mm -hmm. whenever, whenever they get around a parking garage, bad things happen, <laughs> which I got a huge kick out of, and you don't know what's going to happen next. And that is, to me, one of the best things I can say about somebody's storytelling is that I don't know what's going to happen, so I have to turn the page to find out what's going on. And I literally had no idea what you guys were going to do from page to page. And I just love that. And that's why I highly recommend this book. It is just terrific. Well, thank you very much. Thank you. Yeah, and we would actually be remiss if we didn't mention a little something about the publisher who actually made the trade paperback possible. Darby Pop Publishing, they came to us and asked us if we were interested in collecting the series uh, as we were putting it together. And they did a fantastic job putting it together, even from a, you know, a technical standpoint. Jeff Klein is the publisher, and Renee Geerlings is the managing editor. And Jeff and I had a fantastic, we had a wonderful time dealing with them. They were awesome to work with. Yeah. Very cool, very cool. Now, I've talked about it so much, I want to make sure people can get a hold of it. Jeff, what's the way that people can get a hold? Now, I ordered it through my local store, so of course you can go to your local shop and see if they can order it through Darby Pop. Amazon is also a way you can get it, right, Jeff? So it's available now on Amazon. So as of the night, it's officially available on Amazon. 
Great. Any other way that we can get a hold of it? At conventions, what Darby Pop is also doing, you had mentioned Comixology before, mm-hmm. to help promote the series, they were the ones who put out the color versions of the individual issues of the comic book. Mm-hmm. They put out the first issue a month before the trade was released. The second issue came out with the comic shop release mm-hmm. of the trade paperback. Mm-hmm. And I believe from there on, I think it's monthly, three, four, and five, but they're going to continue on so that all five issues are available through Comixology as well. Very cool, very cool. And if you want to know what I think of this book, you know, get more detail, go to Majorspoilers.com and look up Dead Man's Party and you'll see my review, which I gave it high marks because it's just one of those great books that you come across and you just go, oh man, this is a great book. And yeah, that was a that was a fantastic review and we, we yes. definitely thank you for it. We also want to bring up one thing. Too. Sure. We're, uh, we're doing a promotion that started February 1st, a promotion with Death Wish Coffee, mm-hmm. which they had a commercial in the Super Bowl last weekend. Mm-hmm. And if you find us on Twitter and Facebook and if you retweet the promotion that we've got there, you get entered into a drawing where we'll pick five winners to get their likenesses drawn by Scott, taken out by our character Ghost, <laughs> and in addition to getting a pound of coffee from Death Wish Coffee, which is the world's strongest coffee, twice the caffeine of your normal coffee. So you get an original piece of art done by Scott, you get a pound of coffee by Death Wish, and you get a mug from them as well. So, so how do you apply for this? Come find us on Twitter and Facebook. Uh, Yeah, you can either search for Dead Man's Party and or Darby Pop Publishing. They're the ones who actually are putting together the sweepstakes, so the original Facebook post is there. Great. And all we ask is that you either share or retweet the tweet about it, and you're automatically entered. Mm -hmm. Very good. Well, a lot of people would love nothing better than to have their face put in a comic and to be shot in a comic by in a crime (laughs) comic. Boy, that would be – a lot of people would really love that, so I think that's a great idea. So, Well, Jeff, why don't we talk about other things that you've done and other projects you might have in the work, and then we'll get to Scott. Uh, What things are you working on, or what have you done first, and we'll get into other things you're working on. So – October 2014, I won a contest with Darby Pop Publishing. I won a writing contest they were holding that involved using one of their characters, Stingray, from their indestructible line of comic books, or indestructible universe. Mm -hmm. And so I won the contest, and my script I wrote was produced as indestructible Stingray number one. Mm -hmm. So that is available through Darby Pop's website, and it's just a one shot where hopefully we're kind of talking that possibly doing maybe another series with her, with that character. Mm-hmm. Meeting Darby Pop, got Dead Man's Party noticed by them, and you know, the trade paperback came out with them. But I also do another self published comic called Z Girl and the Four Tigers mm-hmm. about a unique special ops team led by centuries old female zombie. And uh, so. She and her team fight monsters and demons that are trying to wipe out humanity. And you can find those comics on zgirl.org. And we also have a really cool, amazing, unbelievable-looking action figure done by Executive Replicas. So Mm. come to our website and check it out. I write the book, and the artwork is done by uh, Kirk Manley, who has a great art style. So check it out. How many books have you made of Zgirl? We did a issue zero, which was four short stories of the team throughout the centuries, mm-hmm. and that's a standalone. Then we have a five-issue arc that is one whole story that 
introduces you to the team, introduces you to Z-Girl. That's all complete. We did a one-shot for New York Comic Con last year, mm-hmm. and Kirk and I are working on the next story arc for Z-Girl now. Cool. So... Any other things? Got a few books out there. Any other things besides that, or that's keeping you busy? No, that's keeping me busy. uh, (laughs) Keeping me busy for now. Okay. Now you also write reviews, right? At uh, on the Best Shots team. I do. I I do reviews for uh, Newsarama. Okay. Wow, that's a good website to write for. So that's pretty good. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. How about you, Scott? What things have you done, and what else are you working on that we should know about? Like I had said before, I initially got into the industry and I was known more as like a pinup artist, a cover artist. Mm-hmm. And I'd done pinups and cards for Lady Death mm-hmm. and Mortal Kombat. And my biggest claim to fame at the time was I had done a pinup for Spawn of uh, Angela and Spawn battling. And like I said before, it took a bit of a hiatus from the industry due to what was going on in it. But since then, while I'd been working on Dead Man's Party here and there, I'd do another cover. I'd done a cover for Erica Schultz's uh, M3 comic book series. It's another spy book and a really good book. It's actually one of the reasons why Jeff and I had come to befriend Erica. And Erica is actually the one who relettered the trade paperback of Dead Man's Party. So we all work in the same small indie community and make relationships where we get to work with each other. And um, I'd done some pinups for uh, a book called The Mighty Titan. Mm-hmm. But right now, we're actually, Jeff and I, and we're nowhere near being able to uh, make any announcements yet, but we figured we had so much fun working on Dead Man's Party that we are, we've been developing some other properties that we would like to see, which we'll pull out of the drawer first and put together. And plus the fact we're also looking to see, you know, this year, 2016, is going to be a lot about promoting Dead Man's Party, and we're curious to see what happens and whether or not we'll have fans uh, asking for a sequel. So, you know, you never know. That's what I'm hoping for. I'm hoping Dead Man's Party 2 will come out sometime, especially the way you guys <laughs> ended it. I just, I want to see, <laughs> I want to see more of that. It was a great ending. And well, it's great. A, we it's definitely, a, we definitely have a lot of places we can go. A lot of characters that Jeff wrote some, you know, really rich backstories on and all that, that we could really, it, we could focus on Ghost or we can go in an entirely different direction. There's mm-hmm. obviously it being our creations, we can do pretty much what we want with it, you know. Well, it's Dead Man's Party and it's a fantastic trade or if you want to download the digitals, go through Comixology, it's worth the effort. Get the, I would recommend getting the trade in paper forms because I want to get these guys to sign when I get to see them at a convention hopefully sometime soon because it's a terrific crime drama like I said it's something I haven't read before and in my years of watching and reading crime drama that takes something to get that so this was a real accomplishment excellent book just terrific stuff I want to end up on one thing I got a huge kick I was talking to Jeff just before we started to record and I in the foreword is written by Todd Farmer in your trade. <laughs> and there's a funny thing in there that hit me. I was reading his stuff about it, and he talked about the fact that he didn't want to lie, dear readers, want to treat you with transparency and the honesty you deserve. So, he said he met the two of you while doing undercover narcotics work in a Scranton <laughs> karaoke bar. Now, I'm from Scranton, Pennsylvania. There is no karaoke bar in Scranton. So, I was going, what karaoke bar in Scranton, Pennsylvania were you all at? And, uh, and Jeff had to tell me, well, he just got done saying you go, he didn't want to lie to us, so what did he do? He lied. So <laughs> I, I got a huge kick out of that. I have to say that was funny. 
But yeah, and as Todd had said, the criminal records can't be uh, open until uh, what do you say, twenty forty one? I believe. Like uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, that was good. That was kind of a nice light start to what is a really great book. So, you guys do great work. I hope you keep it up. I'm going to keep my ear to the ground and listen to other good things that you guys do as we move along. And man, I love Dead Man's Party. And I again, I highly recommend it to anybody who's listening to this. Get your hands on this book because it's really worth the effort to get it. Thank you very much, Wayne. Thank you, Wayne. People need dramatic examples to shake them out of apathy, and I can't do that as Bruce Wayne. As a man, from flesh and blood, I can be ignored, I can be destroyed, but as a symbol. Get the latest from the comics universe. News, interviews, previews, and reviews. Listen to the weekly Wayne's Comics Podcast, so you can keep reading your comics. that's it for this week. Be back next episode when I'll have another terrific conversation with another wonderful comics creator. But until then, keep reading your comics.